Hello, everybody, and welcome to Brett is interrupting me on the intro to this week's episode <laughs> of Midweek Matinee. <laughs> Brett, since you're so interrupted, you feel like interrupting me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Blake, how are you this week? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. This week, we watched the movie Up in the Air, which, as everybody knows, if you listened to our top 10 episode, is one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm nervous to hear what you guys think, because like I said, one of my favorite movies. Uh, Blake, I want to hear from you first. Trash. I don't, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I don't <laughs> feel like this is your kind of movie, so I'm actually like very curious yeah. how you felt about it. So I went in with the idea that this was a romantic comedy. I don't think it was a romantic comedy. It's definitely not. It definitely masquerades a as dramedy. a romantic comedy. Yeah. I went in expecting something like Failure to Lawn. Yeah. Uh, You've Got Mail, something like that. Like, like a lot more cute, less uh, yeah. almost devastating. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I actually extremely liked this movie a lot. Like, hell yeah. One of the best movies we've watched in a while that I hadn't already seen. Oh. That warms the cockles <laughs> of my cold black heart. Brett, how about you? How did you like one of Chris's favorite movies up in the air? <laughs> Much like Blake, I think going into it the way I did actually set me up to enjoy the movie more because mm-hmm. I went in with an expectation. And if, I, if I'm being honest, I don't, it's not that I dislike rom-coms, mm-hmm. but rom-coms are very easy to predict and they're run of the mill. And that ends up making them enjoyable watches, but something that ends up feeling like shallow. Yeah. yeah shallow. And just like that was just to have something on while I did something else Yeah, is what sure. they kind of feel like. Whereas this movie, like you said, it masquerades as one, but I think even pretty early on, it starts to kind of tap into something more than I think you typically get out of a out of an actual rom-com. And that started mm-hmm. tipping me in to where I went from more passively watching it to more intent, like intently watching it. And by the time the ending rolled, my wife watched it with me. She yeah. said, that's the ending. And I said, that's the fucking ending. And like the best <laughs> way possible, because I really did not, again, following this movie the whole way through of like, or even though it's doing a lot different, I still think that this is supposed to be a rom-com. Right. And then when that ending hit, it all came down and I was like, this is not a romantic comedy (laughs) at all. (laughs) Yeah. I tricked you guys a little bit. So great, great movie. If I wasn't clear with that. Good. I'm I'm glad you guys liked it. I mean, we can talk about that part first. Right. Cause I think that's the most interesting part of this movie is if you, for some reason decided after an hour and 30 minutes that you were going to stop 10 minutes early, this it is a romantic comedy, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like until you he know, you find Chicago. out. Yeah. Until you find out Alex is just having uh, an affair. Fucking piece of shit. Motherfucking bitch. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, Blake. <laughs> so Blake, why don't you expand on your very strong opinion? I would have not let her shut the door and I would have introduced myself to her husband. <laughs> Hi, my name's Bill. I've been fucking your wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would just be like, dude, you got to know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm also much more awkward and don't like confrontation. And that would be a whole lot of confrontation, especially as yeah. he's super confused and may just end up fucking swinging without knowing the, the full story. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this random, very attractive man <laughs> in my house? Not only very attractive, but like, wasn't he like the sexiest man alive like 10 years in a row or some dumb shit? I swear I've seen that man on a People's Magazine. <laughs> what is he doing here? <laughs> so, Brett, what's, what is your opinion on that part of the movie? So, you mean specifically him coming to Alex's door? 
We can talk about that, or we can kind of just talk about. I guess we should just break into the relationship of Ryan and Alex in general. Well, I think yeah. that that's like the crux of the movie in a very weird way because, again, going into this looking for a rom com, I kept thinking yeah. to myself, okay, this is a very interesting way to set up the relationship for a rom com. And again, watching it through that, you have this thing of like, oh, I was right on some of it. I was like, okay. They're going to do the normal rom-com thing where he has a change of heart, which is yep, true, do. but his change of heart doesn't actually coalesce into <laughs> anything. Um, so his change of heart proved him right from the beginning of the movie. If you <laughs> right. a lot of ways. Yeah. It honestly, I'm um, like that moment of him knocking on the door, seeing that. And then ha- it, it, it started to sink in when I saw yeah. that, that, there's no way with the runtime of this movie and how far we are already into it that he can meet someone else and this could become a happy story. <laughs> so in my mind, I kept I was like, circling. He's not going to go back to Anna Kendrick, right? Like, She's I, legal. Dude, I that's have. such an age gap, dude. <laughs> I half debated if the movie was going to be ballsy enough to have it be that all along the girl that was right for him was with him. Yeah. Oh, See, man. I, that is the one thing I'll say is this movie is very confusing with the age gap mm-hmm. because it it implies that Alex is thirty four. <laughs> yeah, which, he's definitely like forty eight. You'd think. I mean, and that's not to say that two adults thirty four right, and no, of old can't. But you would think, just given the way that relationship is, that they're kind of close in age. Um, so I might be looking into that line of her talking about when she's 34, but just the way it read it to me on paper. And then I guess arguably the age of her kids, you could kind of infer that maybe she is that old. Yeah. You know, I guess it's not impossible. I guess that to me, I didn't even take it as her. Like I took it as her snidely making a remark because of Anna Kendrick's character, not wanting to actually, put an actual age on them but she kept talking yeah, as if they were ancient oh my god her yeah. mentioning her age was so fucking funny yeah she's uh, like you're exactly what i want to be in yes. 15 years or whatever that's, my, that's my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite moments of the movie um but let's go back let's kind of yeah, swing we're back off, the yeah. relationship. um because like like brett said that is the crux of the movie but well blake you had brought up an interesting point that you would go confront them yeah I, because it, well, it, it brings up this, and this is kind of where I wanted to go with the whole conversation, is what did, outside of the moral of her, you know, cheating on her a husband, it, is Alex right in the end, or is Ryan right? So, you know my mean? thing about it is, so they started out with the same, like, mind state, right? Of like, yes. hey, we'll just hook up in random cities, and that's all it is, and that's fine. Yeah. And like, whatever, you know, I don't care what people do. But, you know, that started to, like, when he invited her to the wedding, it was, like, obviously inviting her kind of, like, to be his date. And yeah. then they were, like, really... I mean, they acted like they were in a relationship there. You know what I mean? They did, maybe yeah. it's, like, a heat of the moment thing or whatever. But I feel like, in a sense, she led him on mm-hmm. a lot more than she gave herself credit for on the phone call that they had towards the end. Yeah, she's like you knew what this was. Like it, it right. definitely, it very much became something else, though. Mm. It definitely did. Uh, well, Brett, what do you think? It's lying by omission. I'm kind of with Blake on this, in that she clearly isn't. She never lies to him. But yeah. I do agree that the conversation of where she says, like, you know, this is not what I signed up for. Like we, you, we both knew what we signed up for. Which also, to be clear, 
we don't know that. Like at least as far as we, the viewer, is shown, we're never is, like explicitly given that information. It's just inferred. Well, no, I would actually argue that point because yeah. she does have multiple times where she's like, "I'm not the girl you have to worry about. I'm you with a vagina." Yeah, and you know, kind of implying like it's a transient relationship. I, they never have. I a, mean, like, again, you're you're right, but it's just we're never like we don't ever hear her explicitly say like, "Hey, this is all you are to me." And then to yeah, go they never more towards yeah, what you're saying. to go more towards Blake's <laughs> actual point is that. In the the movie, whenever the whole situation happens with going to the wedding, and we see them break into the school and go through and show her his life, and she's like, "I'm really glad I came." Yeah. At that point, those the the waters of this was just a fling, and you're in my escape from reality. Those waters were muddied so goddamn much that yeah, yeah. you can't even see with goggles on. Mm-hmm. So that's where I come into it, where. I think that she allowed the relationship to change. I will say, I think that Ryan set himself up a little bit in the scene where he invites her because she doesn't want to take it that that way. And yeah, she's, she's hesitant. He's kind of begging her to not begging. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know what? For George Clooney, I would imagine that's begging. Um, <laughs> like, he's never know, had to ask more than once. Come on, no, absolutely not. <laughs> never had to ask. He wouldn't even have to ask me more than once, and I'm not even gay. <laughs> George Clooney, I'm taking my pants off right now. Hey. <laughs> but Is that a belt yeah. sound? Is that what that was? <laughs> I only hope <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Um. <laughs> you can tell me and Brett are like getting old and we're dads because we both leaned back and clapped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <while right. laughs> Very white dad here. Okay. <laughs> Very much so. Proud of it. Oh, my God. Uh, well, Alex has kids. <laughs> Speaking of kids. No, but I think the thing, the hard thing about that is I'm, I watched that scene. I've seen this movie like 10 times. So I knew, obviously, what was going to happen. But I watched that scene at the end, and I'm kind of like, I get where Ryan comes from. Cause if I had said some of the stuff that Ryan was saying, I would kind of expect like more, but I also felt like in watching the movie that Alex was pretty clear that it was just that. Yeah. I mean, I think they both muddied the waters. I don't think she's come. I think she's completely at fault for cheating on her husband or whatever, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think she is solely at fault for like making him have feelings for her, you know? Mm. I think that's the interesting thing is like outside of her having a family. And I think it's interesting that the movie goes this way where they don't pass judgment on her. You know, there's no like real conversation about the horrors of adultery or whatever. Yeah. Which you would think a movie would do, you know, make, make her look like the bad guy where I feel like the movie as just kind of a plain interpretation, like almost makes Ryan look bad in that moment. <laughs> hmm. How did he get her address? Cause I, if she's married, she wouldn't have given it to him. They, she, he had a piece of paper with it written down. Right. And That's I don't know. Confused. It almost leads me to wonder if they don't explain that. That's one of the things they don't explain. I want to kind of go back a little bit and talk about your thing. So again, sure. I do think that there's a lot of implication in the early parts that lead towards a, this is a fling. This is supposed to be both of us, people who are on the road, just finding times where we meet up. 
and mm-hmm. and this works. And I think that in those moments, yes, it does feel very much like as far as the relationship between her and Ryan go, there's no unclear level, but I think a lot of what goes on through the movie and maybe it's just the way the movie tries to show the <coughs> actions at hand. We see a kind of parallel to them and the conversation that's had with Anna Kendrick's character, who I can't remember her name for the life of me right now. Um, Natalie. Natalie. Thank Natalie you. Keener. Keener. But going back to her, <laughs> I think whenever you're li- you're kind of watching the scene where she's having her meltdown and they're going out and having this great night and you see them on the boat with their feet in the water kind of doing this lovey-dovey stuff. And then you see her kind of being like, I like you. And then even that conversation beforehand with Natalie, when she's talking about what you look for in a guy, I think you see, you see George Clooney again. I'm just going to, he's George Clooney. I can't watch this movie and not know he's George Clooney. So Uh henceforth referred to as George Clooney, Batman. (laughs) I mean, his name's Ryan in the movie. So I understand, but (laughs) in the movie, I think you see him kind of noticing that she's looking over at him when she's saying these things of what she looks for in a man. And you see him kind of looking up and acknowledging some of the little looks at each other. And I think that's also what clearly brings some question up with Anna Kendrick's character. But ultimately across the board, I do think that there's a lot of ways uh, or a lot of things for me as an individual that the movie does to make it seem like, if I were in Ryan's shoes, I would have thought the same that he did. Like sure. that she would that she was willing to go for something more, but she didn't think he was able to. So when yeah. he finally has that realization when he's up on stage, he decides like, I can do this. I'm gonna go get it. And that's kind of where the movie breaks my heart. <laughs> so Anna Kendrick yeah. thing is funny too because whenever he finds out that Anna Kendrick's character quit, mm-hmm. it like goes to her walking in the airport for like three seconds. Mm-hmm. I was like, God, he's gonna be running towards her. Like, <laughs> but then it just switched back. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah. or not? <laughs> Seemed like a weird cut, like just to show her walking through an airport again. Well, see, I think that's what's interesting is she wasn't walking. She was just standing there, and it was after she had just found out about the suicide, which I think is yeah, like yeah. a it's very just, dark it, turn this movie takes that I really like. Yeah, but, it's the um, flat escalator thing. So, yeah, she's yeah, walking technically. But I just think that that scene, I really like that scene because it kind of shows she's in that airport, but she's alone in that scene. I, I'm yeah. 90% sure. So I just, I just like the way that they do that, and I think it's good to show that like she's moving on. I don't necessarily hold it against. I don't think it's a bad cut or anything. I just thought it was like, oh, yeah, for like, sure. I just it just made me question, like, wait, what? No, okay, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's uh, it goes back to thinking this is a rom com, leading yeah, you to exactly. believe that clearly the point of showing her is going to lead to him having some realization. And there's definitely mm-hmm. romance in the movie, and there's definitely comedy <laughs> yeah. and drama. I don't know. I like I said, I think I'd consider it more a dramedy, yeah, than, like anything else. No, I certainly yeah. do too, because I think that, that the ending itself, choosing to be, I don't know necessarily say that it's dark, but I think a lot of people watching that movie going into it, even if you didn't know what it was, I think you would be watching it and think, oh, this is a romantic comedy. And when you yeah, approach that end, that end defies every bit of that genre to me. And it's yeah. part of what made it such a great kind of heart pulling, like, oh, wow, that is the end. They really aren't going to do anything else. Like, <laughs> This is his cycle. It, it's not that his cycle even really. It's just he learns that the, the way he was going along is about what works for him. 
And it's sad. And that's so different from what you expect from a rom-com because it's supposed to be happy sad. It's supposed to be that you're crying with joy, not like contemplating, wow, this man who clearly finally reached a point of wanting more really has no path forward. Yeah. Right. Can we talk about how many people were in this movie? Yeah, right. Like how good cast is. <laughs> right. Like every five seconds it was someone doing like, Holy shit, he's in this movie? She's in this movie? Yeah. Also, Jason Bateman looks weird with a beard. He does. He does look weird with a beard. Not into it. <laughs> he looks exactly like that character should look, though. Yeah, for sure. It's just weird like threw beard. me off for a second. I was yeah. like, is that fuck? Yeah, it is Jason Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> and then Danny McBride, which I've seen Pineapple Express so many times. The, every time I saw him, I just kept thinking of the, uh, you know why my armpits are shaved? It's more aerodynamic when I fight. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. Danny McBride surprised the hell out of me in this movie because his character showed a lot of restraint. And this was during a time period where Danny McBride was known for being the crazy go-to character. I mean, he kind of was, though. Like, he, when you went to him and he was, like, upset about, like, getting married, he was reading, like, a children's book. The Velveteen Rabbit. That was so and he's funny. like, have you ever read this? <laughs> Very deep story. <laughs> I love that that was George Clooney's thing. Like, yeah, deep stuff. I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. I guess it still is reserved for him, but it's still, oh, it is. still like super funny the whole yeah, time. Yeah, he's clearly still a goofy character, but there was a lot of restraint. Also, mm-hmm. I love how it's just Zach Galifianakis is big, so let's oh put him God. in the movie for four minutes. That was, that was I, such a good I was so hoping he was going to be throughout. <laughs> yeah. I loved the just like him loading the sniper rifle. <laughs> <laughs> That whole oh scene God. with him was really good. That's the thing is, I think the interesting thing is, it's very this movie is very clearly a commentary on you know the depression we had, and like I think oh eight, this is when the movie was out. It came out oh nine, so probably made in oh eight, or at least written oh seven oh eight. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, like a lot of the if you watch the movie, a lot of the firings, if there's no lines with Clooney and Kendrick. Those are like real people who were fired in Detroit, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. So what's interesting is when they made the movie, um, the director, Jason Reitman, I think you say his name that way. He basically told these people, like, you're going to be in a documentary and just say what you wish you could have said to the camera. And I, this is the one weird thing about that trivia thing. He said that they shot it separately because regular people would freak out George Clooney and Andrew Anna Kendrick. (laughs) And, like, I know what they mean when they write it that way, right? Like, hearing a real story about getting fired might throw them off. But you read the thing on IMDb and it says, real people would freak out Clooney and Kendrick. (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? Just scared of humans who aren't in Hollywood. (laughs) Um, But I think that segues us pretty well into the firing stuff. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts, specifically Blake's thoughts, what how you felt about that whole part of the movie. Yeah, I thought it was done really well. I um, well, I more mean just the general just fit. I'm, I'm mostly curious about your thoughts because I think just knowing you outside of this, the way you feel politically might influence your your how you feel about that whole part of the movie. And I'm curious because I think the way you feel about the firing stuff, it kind of. I don't know what the right word is like focuses how you feel on Ryan, Mm. you know, because I think if you watch this, there's there's someone who watches this movie and is almost happy with the ending because they don't like Ryan and what he does. I mean, 
people get fired and like layoffs have to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't watch this with any political lens, so I didn't really no, like consider sure. anything. Um, Definitely. I guess my like it sucks when people get fired and it's shitty, but we don't really know the reasons they're fired or even anything about their company at all. So you, I mean, you can't like, you know, I can't make any leaps and bounds to say fuck that company for firing those people. I guess I kind of took it in a weird way because I think the the thing that we, you can look at it from that angle is Bateman's character, who is very clear, I, like he's very on the nose with like America is collapsing. This is sick for me, you yeah. know. Yeah, for sure. And, like that company is weird that it exists, but also like a lot of people that are in like man- managerial positions mm-hmm. aren't good yeah. with confrontations and stuff like that. So yeah. I get it. Like I get the need for that. I guess. Yeah. I didn't know that kind of job existed though. And then, I I'm, I've always been curious if it does. I've never yeah, been I mean, curious. I still don't actually know, but yeah, no, neither do I. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying is like I guess I wasn't curious enough to look it up. And it but, is funny cuz the way he described it in the beginning where he's like I'm the guy that those pussies call in to do their job or something like that. Yeah. But I also I started this before my daughter went to bed and uh-huh. Haley was braiding her hair. And again, I thought this was a romantic comedy. And I was like, oh, it's probably some PG-13 romance, whatever. We'll turn it on. Within the first four minutes, there were three fucks and one pussies. And I was like, all right, let's pause this for a bit. <laughs> Wait till she goes to bed and we'll finish it. <laughs> yeah, because there's that one scene of body double ass. Oops, apologies. That where I was, where I saw that scene, I'm like, ooh, I should probably tell Blake that this has some, some um, straight butt in it. I tend to watch usually when the kids go to bed anyways. Yeah. But with this one, I was like, oh, I can throw it on before she goes to bed. It's not mm-hmm. fucking like Rambo or something. <laughs> it's not irreversible. <laughs> yeah, it's not irreversible. Exactly. Although, I, no, okay. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, she couldn't watch that one. Although we did start with the end of the movie <laughs> on this one. Huh? <laughs> I was about to say, well, there wasn't too much bad in the first few minutes. But uh, what? Two guys talking. I uh. Never mind. Okay, so <laughs> I mean, I watched enough of the movie to know you shouldn't show that to your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying show it. Okay, I know, right. but <laughs> so yeah, this one just threw me for a loop again, just to like com- continue to hash on the fact that this is mm-hmm. not a romantic comedy. <laughs> no, uh, I like that you guys kind of got tricked by it because I started watching it and I was like halfway through the movie I, I was thinking to myself like remembering really what was going on and i was like i i think i've sold this movie wrong for the entire <laughs> 30 weeks we've been doing this podcast and i've been talking about it because i i i remember it as a romantic comedy i remembered the ending but i remembered watching it as like this kind of floofy romantic comedy with this very dark and serious firing thing um yeah. but it's it's not that which i love so i'm i'm glad that you guys got the same impression from the beginning because there's not many movies where you could go into and be and say, Oh, this is a romantic comedy until the end, which I think you can with this. Like if a Jim Carrey comedy started off hilarious for 30 minutes for, or for an hour and 20 minutes. And then the ending, it turns out he's a serial killer and just kills a bunch (laughs) of people. It wouldn't work. And I think that's what's special about this movie. Is you said Jim become, Carrey? I think Jim yeah. Carrey could be the only actor on Earth who might be able to sell that particular premise you just laid out. <laughs> Disagree. Nick Cage. Um, uh, Nick Cage. Fair. Fair. He's not. <laughs> I think Jim Carrey could also do it. But yes, Nick Cage. Yeah. Well, my, my, uh, yes, you are correct. But I guess more what I'm saying is just that. I get you what you're saying. Yeah. Whether you're. Yeah. 
most 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 genres you can't just switch to borderline the opposite drama because i think this one in a very first world way goes from a romantic comedy to like a greek tragedy <laughs> within like 10 minutes you know and i that's what i really like about it um so can we before we go too much off, and Blake, I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want to kind of, while, while it's still pertinent to the conversation, yeah. I know that Chris was specifically interested in hearing your remarks about the whole, uh, I guess, the uh, the situation of setting the movie up with this potentially fictitious job of firing people. Who knows? Yeah. One of the things I really liked about the movie, and I said that it, it didn't take very long in the movie for me to think, well, even if it is a rom-com, it's a rom-com that's daring to do something that's saying more than just people are funny and love each other, which ultimately is yeah, what most rom-coms are for better or worse. I mean, there's some great rom-coms. Well, that are he's hot, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All, right. all these girls want to fuck. But, but one of the things I really, really liked about this hype. movie, and I think one of the things that really keyed me into <laughs> thinking like this movie's trying to do more, came from the way that this firing thing was set up it was clear that it was trying to make reference to the 2008 you know depression and the fact that a lot of companies suddenly had to downsize and of course i do like that they have the person in jason bateman's character who's like you know hey we're we're benefiting from this just be thankful that we're still doing so well and then i also like that this movie kind of touches on the technology jump that happens in those kind of industries where you see the young kid come in and be like hey we're going to revolutionize this cut cost and be able to do be able to fire people even better <laughs> uh, yeah. but what i like about that is that it facilitates I, I guess for me one of chris's remarks was that he sees that someone out there could watch this movie and think like i don't like ryan and if there's anything I found Ryan real Ryan really endearing because of the, the the it's almost like his job it clearly meant a lot to him because of the lifestyle that it afforded him which he had grown comfortable with and wanted to continue. Yes. If I had kids, I'd do that shit. <laughs> I don't so, know if I could fire people, but I would do the job to where I have to travel to a new place every day. Yeah. <laughs> so he clearly likes that aspect of it, right? And you you are introduced to that version of him, but very quickly you see a side of him break out to where at first, when you're introduced to the idea of this online firing, you think it's just that he's being selfish and doesn't want to come back in from the road, which I do think is at least somewhat part of his motivation. Oh, 100%. But at least with what this movie kind of goes on to, I like that he views his job as kind of a craft and that he feels like it's too impersonal to do this over the internet and that there's so many variables that you can't account for. And that's kind of like the fact that he's talking that way is like, well, he's either blowing smoke out of his ass in an effort to try and get things to swing back toward his way. Or there's a little bit of truth to the fact that despite his job being an unkind job in a lot of ways, that he still views it as a craft and an art and something that needs to be handled delicately. And I think right. the first time that you really see that in motion is when J.K. Simmons character comes in and is talking about his kids and you see yep. Clooney kind of strategically look at you know the thing and have the mindset to look at his <laughs> resume and turn this from a what am I going to do now my kids that I want to adore me because I provide for them are not going to adore me and how he kind of is able to swing that around into this mm -hmm. hey 
you know, when are you going to, you have something else you can do. What do you mean? Well, you can cook. I really love that scene because it paints Ryan in a different way. Now, of course the movie kind of constantly shows you this story of two Ryans where the lady talks about how she's going to kill him, kill herself. And he kind of downplays it. And you're writing a line between in this setup, like, is this something that Ryan sees a lot? People who do say they're going to kill each, like kill themselves and who don't normally do it, or at least he can't bring himself to be bothered with it because it would be bad for him. Or if he's just saying something in the moment to try and help Anna Kendrick, you know, deal with her thing or Natalie. See, um, I'm sure he does hear uh, a lot. I think two things. I want just, just focusing on that specific thing. I think that for one, I really like that that happens on natalie's first one and i like that it happens in person and not online because i think if it happened with the online thing it would have made it really easy for that ending of well we're going to get rid of it Mm -hmm. but it went because it happens to anna in or i'm sorry natalie in person it shows how good ryan is Mm -hmm. because and i think even though the movie implies that he doesn't check up and i think he doesn't what it also implies is he would know if somebody killed himself because they're investigating that suicide in with that company yeah Mm -hmm. right so if 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 ryan had maybe taken the lead on that i think that woman is one of those people who like she lost her job and she was going to kill herself um but i think ryan would have handled it more delicately than natalie did Mm -hmm. obviously so he might have saved her which i think is what that scene is really good at showing you instead of telling you Mm. uh where it shows you in that moment exactly how good ryan is they show you you know they tell you how good he is with jk simmons or and his the the cooking thing you're right and that is a brilliant scene but it it, what i like about that scene and the suicide thing is it, it shows really how good ryan is because it 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 shows that he he it shows how to how he handles versus how she does, but it also shows that no one's done that on his watch because he handles it better than she did. That psych degree doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, an extra layer that you're kind of brushing against right now that I really liked, and this is really the thing that turned me towards thinking this movie's doing a lot, is that there's kind of a sub. What's what, what's the best word for this? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a theme or even a plot, but it's almost like there's an underlying uh, moral. I, I guess theme may be the thing where they're never explicitly talking about it, but they kind of say a lot of things that brush against the idea that in this moment of the financial collapse, it's like there's a lot of symbolism towards what it means to have people do these things face to face and that people ultimately help people and that you can use this as an opportunity to like blossom into what you really wanted to do in life. It's almost like I like that the specifically the plot line of him being in that job with the subplot line of the fact that he's on the road all the time and has sectioned himself off to feeling like he doesn't need people and does these talks. I think that those two things work together because you don't realize at first that ultimately the thing that's keeping him sane is these connections that he makes with people over firing them and this human element that's brought to it. And as you see, the online aspect is like tearing him away from what he loves in terms of going on the road. But it's also tearing him away, I think, from the only human connection that's keeping him kind of going. And you see that in him and the fact that he does feel a little bit of a pull to do something for his sister. And when he gets there, he has Mm -hmm. this like, I really want to be there for her, but I don't know what it's like. I don't know how to be here. And you have that really gut punching line from his sister where she's like, 
you know, you're never around. So we don't think about you. Hell, you don't even exist as far as we're concerned. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, there's so much going on there that I really love the sim- the symbolism that comes with his career as to what the story is actually focusing on in terms of Ryan's character development. And I don't know if that was something that stemmed specifically because of the whole firing or, you know, overall downsizing or why they specifically chose to go with that. But it almost seems like there's no way they did it without thinking this is going to be a big character development motivator that you can see is just an interesting job choice. And it does work towards moving the story forward, but it's almost like this for lack of a better term. It's kind of like what death stranding did where it's all about looking at a time when there's a lot of stuff going on in a negative sense in the overarching world and going like, Hey, look at the root of it all. It's just connections between people that ultimately make the end of the day better. And then the end of the movie kind of brings that back home with the finished versions of the interviews from the intro where the people are like i looked over see my wife and my purpose is found it's just it's really touching i was honestly very floored by the way the movie went about ending itself yeah Yeah. it handled the subject matter very well and those if i'm not mistaken were all real actors yeah i think you're right going back and once you've said that piece of trivia really listening to that all of those feel like there's a layer of genuineness to them. Yeah. Well, that's like, I remember watching this before when I was watching before I read it. Cause I read that after the movie and there's that, the one guy and he repeats himself over and over again and where you're watching it. And I'm like, that acting kind of sucked. Why'd you read your lines that way? Or why were your lines written that way? And then you think, Oh, right. That's a real person. So then it, takes yeah. that this is bad acting to oh no that's real acting <laughs> yeah not acting but you know what i mean that's real, yeah, yeah that's real yeah. and there is a level it's funny that when people authentically do something and you know that it somehow changes the way that you perceive it because it's like oh this is a man who's not trained you're watching a man who's literally having this happen and is having to go through what the repercussions are to him as an individual yeah. well that's what's interesting about it is it's one of those things in fiction, right? When you're writing and with dialogue is if the dialogue sounds real, it's bad dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that's what you get from those scenes. But I also think that makes it feel more real in those scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe the downside is that it's almost like you have to know it. I mean, I thought that those scenes were very warming. So I think there was an authenticity that bled through without knowing, but it's even more heartwarming, though also kind of heart crushing for the beginning parts, knowing that these are real people. I agree with you in the main, like the fact that they're delivered in a way that feels more accurate to the real world works well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wrapped it up very nice. Exactly. So I liked how the movie painted the direct contrast between Ryan and Natalie. I think I got their names right. Yes. The um, Specifically with the way they were shot going to the airport, right? So Ryan, in the very beginning, it started in his hotel room or maybe his yep. apartment. His apartment looked like a hotel room. But they, um, you know, he's pulling his shirts off the rack, zipping his suitcase, flipping it over, extending the handle the sound effects were all kind of like not Perfect. overbearing in a bad way, but they were louder than they should have been. Like ASMR. They were like emphasized. They were emphasized, I guess. Yeah. And then when she gets to the airport and it, she's pulling her suitcase and it's like excruciatingly <laughs> loud. 
Yeah. And it was just like the difference. I don't even know what it was trying to say there, but I felt, and it was so far apart in the movie. It was like 20 minutes later. But it's <laughs> mm-hmm. like, as soon as I saw her pulling that suitcase, I was like, man, that was like completely the opposite of like Ryan going into the airport. <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like it's the very beginnings of you seeing that Natalie doesn't belong in this yeah. world. And right. I think that's really what it's showing you. Cause it, it spends the first 20 minutes of the movie of you seeing Ryan traveling, right? Yeah. And See him going narrating. to an airport, firing someone, going to an airport, firing someone, drinking at a bar, firing someone. Yeah. And boning this see- hot chick. Um, I think that, you know, if you're looking at what the movie was trying to say there, I picked up on that too. And I picked up on the sense of you see the very first interaction with Natalie being this very confident young woman who's like commanding the room and making sweeping changes. So you're introduced to her as this very confident and like in your face person. And then that's the first time where we kind of see her. We get a little hint of the fact that maybe she's not quite as experienced as we're led to believe whenever we have the, the showdown between Ryan and her where he's talking about fire me, you know? And, but then when she gets to the airport, and we see everything about her deny, I defy exactly what Ryan goes for, which is mm-hmm. she's being dropped off by her boyfriend and there's all this thing. She's slow and unorganized and she's clearly inexperienced, whereas he is distant, doesn't have people that he spends time with. He's quick and efficient because he doesn't let things weigh him down. And that's mirrored through those conversations that we see with him in the little talking seminars. So I thought that that scene was very much about setting up how different they are. And this is a classic story trope too, right? Put somebody Mm -hmm. with a character who is their exact opposite and force them to kind of deal with the repercussions of what having someone like that does. Yeah. I don't know. I do like that. I like throughout the movie, you can kind of tell her confidence is fake the whole time. (laughs) The scene where she's trying to fire Ryan, she sits down really confident and 10 seconds in, she's like, Oh fuck! I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. She was <laughs> really good in this movie. She was. Um, I think I really like the part in that scene where they're doing it, and he goes, "No, you can't fire me." Only he can fire me. He gets up to leave, and she gets up too because that's the natural thing. He's like, "No, you're not here." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're they in have a video. Lot, yeah, they have a lot of good like one-liners like that. Together. I think my favorite was sorry to interrupt, but no, you're fine. when it's the three of them sitting across from each other after her like <laughs> breakdown, uh-huh. and she's like, "He broke up with you by text message." Yes, I like, like kind of like <laughs> firing Fire. someone over the internet. <laughs> I and the really funny like thing that. is, too, later she quit by text message. I love that. <laughs> oh man, I loved it. It's so mo- it's so fucking millennial because that's the whole. That's what's really good about the scene with the three of them is it's very much like a distilling of boomer versus millennial in a lot of ways <laughs> where that line, the line from that scene that just destroys me every time is <laughs> I don't mean to be non anti-feminist. I appreciate everything you're generating. Yes. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> like, how old do you think this woman is? <laughs> but, but see, and I like that. You, I like that because it does put like the age makes you a little less shitty because she's just like, eh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite part of that remark was that the, the yeah. response was just, you're welcome. 
Yeah, no, it was so fucking good. And whenever um, she was describing like her perfect man or whatever, and kept yeah, so Clooney, and it's so long, and then Anna Kendrick's character goes, "That was depressing." Oh, so depressing. <laughs> it, it does. It does kind of. Again, that's part of why I really need to know how old they are because if if in seven years I'm just gonna be sitting in a hotel bar, like I guess. If, their teeth are all there i'm good <laughs> that's gonna you know it is a little depressing she's like uh, um, settling isn't failure she's like yeah it is that's the definition <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think to go back to the one-liners because i, I want to bring the one i love up it's just when she when george Clooney turns around and andrew kendrick starts bawling <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> It's just delivered so well. The um, just to, since we're on one-liners, I'm just gonna keep going too. The oh, uh, yeah. when they're dancing and um, God, I'm so bad with names. I know them all. I just can't think when I'm talking. Natalie. Natalie's character, she's dancing with that guy that works at whatever company's party they're crashing. And yep. he's like, uh, "What's your name?" She's she's like, "I'm Natalie." He goes, "Oh, well, then who's Jennifer?" <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Brett, how about you jump into the one-liner game? You got any? Dude, if there is one one-liner, and I guess technically it's not a one-liner, but it's just a short stint that I absolutely love, is when he's taking Natalie through the airport, and they're going through TSA, and he's he's stereotyping everybody, and she's like, that's racist. And he goes, baby, I stereotype. He's like, yeah. taught me or something like that. Well, mom taught me the stereotype. Dude. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not even every bit of that is exactly how I feel. It's like stereotypes can be useful. Yeah. They don't have to be racist. It's just you might be wrong about one person, but stereotypes exist for a reason. And you can I, you can actually utilize those to your benefit, to their benefit. You can do a lot of things. That's what I was gonna say is a lot of stereotyping is pattern recognition. Yeah, that, I, that's all it is. When you're in that scenario, I get it. I feel like it becomes racist when you know you move into a new neighborhood that happens to be predominantly black. And you're a white family and you go and, you know, they invite you to a block party or a cookout. And you're like, I'm going to make a really good impression. So you go to KFC and <laughs> pick up a, a 50 pack of fried chicken. And then you go to the grocery store and you get like three, two liters of grape soda. That's when it becomes racist. You know? See, now here's the interesting thing about that. Is I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong, but it just sounds to me like you're you just described to me a family who is trying their best to be well-meaning and do something that they think is going to be the right move. Yeah. It clearly ends up not being, you know, that's, that's a bad thing to end up have happening. You can be unintentionally racist though. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, hold on. I thought you inherently a bad person. I think the stereo, the stereotyping scene is very important because I do think it does. It shows who Ryan is the very efficient. And then it shows Natalie being, I'm just fuck man, I'm just trying to segue out of this bullshit. <laughs> well, he then said well, he then said at one point too with like the suitcase thing, it's like, how long does it take you to get your luggage like tagged yeah. or whatever? And she's like, Oh, like fifteen minutes. He's like, Yeah, I fly every day. That's a week per year that you're standing there tagging exactly. your luggage. And I really do like that because it again it makes it shows his efficiency. Even even the small stuff he does where like there's a lot of this movie where it's a lot of George Clooney swagger. But if you really think about it in terms of the movie, it's like, yeah, he's just walking by the receptionist, but he already knows all he has to do is do this and this and that. Yeah. Where everything he everything he does is so fast because he's routine and he's set up. 
which I think is almost a very interesting personality shift between the two of them because Natalie is trying to make something efficient that doesn't need to be made efficient. Right. Where maybe Ryan could do with spending a couple minutes standing in line. You know, it's too He's very efficient with that. Mm -hmm. They even called back to that too whenever they went to the wedding and there was like the speed line for the the members at like the Moose Lodge or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, (laughs) I I did enjoy that part where he's like, oh, right. That is annoying. Yeah, there was a lot of really good callbacks in this one. Yeah, because he has that exact scene with that woman in the airport who gets pissy Mm -hmm. at him. Yeah. what is he, he doing? The pamphlet. pamphlet. What are you doing, <laughs> dude? I love that. Just being a dick to be a dick. It's great. It was yeah, awesome. I, I didn't even take it as him being a dick. I thought he was trying to be genuinely helpful because to him, it's like you'd be saving time. I, I thought this. so too. I just like the smile on his face. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. I think he's just. It's one of those. It's this is a movie where I can divorce George Clooney from Ryan Bingham, but that's the one scene where I'm like, no, nah, that's just George Clooney being nice. He just <laughs> looks like a smug piece of shit because he's been the se- people's sexiest man alive via 2008. <laughs> like that's just who George Clooney is. Yeah, know? I definitely took it as him being like, "Hey, all I'm trying to do is help you be as efficient as I am," which is again like the whole point of his series of talks that he does. Is all about letting yeah. other people join his lifestyle, which, you know, whether or not you should becomes the question. But yeah, I did love that scene that kind of put him or a couple of scenes. Everything about him being in Wisconsin or wherever it was, um, was great because Milwaukee. it was all about putting him Milwaukee. Yeah. Where he's, it's all about putting him in the place of the people that he's normally zipping around and almost not thinking about. Because it's yeah. like he goes back to his school and he has to deal with all those things and he has to deal with his family. It's like it's him coming back to a life that he doesn't normally have to live. Yeah. I wanted to shout one last. This is the only note that I haven't covered yet and it's completely random, but it's not very long. So oh, there was one point in the movie and I can't remember where it was. I think it was just a random shot of a hotel at some point. There was two mm-hmm. big poles holding up like the roof. And a small, like, oval shape of grass that looked like there wasn't any grass. And it was very small, but there was a man on a riding lawnmower cutting it. Did you see that? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I, feel like, I feel like I remember the first thing that you were talking it was about. It so fucking goofy. Like, <laughs> but then the, but then it was you something lose you me. could do with a weed eater in five minutes, and this dude's on a giant riding lawnmower, like, going in a circle cutting this grass. I am now going to spend the next ten minutes. (laughs) I'm now going to spend the next ten minutes watching and skimming through this movie to find this fucking thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, so one of the only notes we didn't talk about too is just the movie's reliance on how for Ryan, it's almost like everything in life is about having a tagline. Where it's like mm-hmm. you have to have something that reels it. Like it's the it's the finalizer of the con- conversation. Like you may say some words afterwards, but this is the hook. And I like that he kind of does that to Jim when he meets him, and he says like, "This is America, and this is what we were promised." And he's like, "I like that. I like that end." He's like, "Oh, you like that?" And then I like how whenever he's talking to Jim, that Jim says it like back to him whenever he gives the little, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good touch. I, I like that too. I like that's the thing is like what I really like about Ryan is you can tell throughout the movie 
he's very lonely, but he's diluted himself into thinking he's not, which is why I think the ending works really well. Because I think he'd learned that lesson regardless. You know, I, I know I said the movie was a tragedy. In a lot of ways, it kind of is, at least in that 10 minutes. But I think it, in the end, I really do feel like he's not going to just revert back. And I think you can tell that just by the way he doesn't seem happy to be leaving, even after, mm-hmm. you know, being, I guess, not dumped because she's still down to fuck. Like. <laughs> But that's not clearly what he wants. So you're right, though, right? No. Is that this is the first time in the whole movie that we see him go to an airport and be still the entire time when he right. doesn't like, have shit. someone yeah. who's keeping him there. Like, we see him be still with Alex and that little quip he makes where she's like, call me if you get lonely. And she walks like two steps. He's like, I'm lonely. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that we don't typically see him in an airport alone where he's not just whizzing around. But we see him come to an airport, which is supposed to be his like bread and butter. And as he says at the beginning of the movie, it's his home. And he mm-hmm. just feels like he's not anywhere he needs to be. It's like he's lost and just in a out of his element suddenly when it was his element yeah. before that. Um, the end of the movie, I think, works for a lot of reasons because while it's somewhat, I don't know if I'd say dark, but again, in comparison to what you'd expect from a rom com, since we did go into it believing that it's real, it has this feeling where it is real, and I really appreciate that. It doesn't suddenly swing the movie to an unbelievable point where up to that point it's very believable, but also I think that it does the thing of what I really love and I wish more movies would do of leaving the ending vague. It makes me think of the ending to The Last of Us, where all you're seeing is this end, and it's up to you to interpret how the following events go down. You're like, okay, maybe he decides to move back to Milwaukee and be part of his family. Maybe he does go back to that life of being a hermit and realizing that he was right all along. Maybe he goes off and meets the love of his life and just starts checking in on his family. There's a lot of places that you can mentally take the character based off of what you've witnessed and what you think is the most fitting in for him without the movie having to beat it over your head as to what the, they thought the ending was. They leave it up to the viewer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that kind of will segue us pretty nicely into what I'm not going to call it a problem because spoilers, I think this is a perfect movie in a lot of 90% of the way, but I think I see I'm even debating it in my head as I'm getting ready to say it, but I guess I'll say it because it's my first reaction to it, right? Is I kind of feel like the only mistake in this movie is getting him to 10 million miles. I thought that was weird too, because it's it shows like his character arc of that he wanted it, and then once he got it, it was like it was reaffirmation yeah. of the whole movie that what he thought he always wanted was not what he actually wanted, but at least he was more aware of it this time. Yeah, I guess to me, because they have that scene of him giving away his miles to his sister. Which I knew was coming. (laughs) Of course, yeah. But I felt like that might have been a little bit more impactful if instead of, if he gave those away without hitting 10 million, because that would have kind of, which I guess to your point, it would have been a little bit more of a definitive in as definitive as a hint can be towards what's going to happen next, you know, past the credits, sure. it would have been a significantly more definitive hint. But I just think it, I don't know if undermines is the right word, but it makes just that arc a little bit less impactful because you could look at that as, well, he's only doing that because he got his 10 million. 
Yeah. See, I don't think that that's and what's he, happening. I just think it's been made easier because he has that hotline. I think that he, you see it almost in his face whenever he's looking at the board of all the places that they're not going to get to go. That was the moment where I, as soon as he was looking at that map and seeing the pictures and then understood why that they chose to do that, I was like, oh, he's going to give his miles to them. Yeah. I think we've we've covered the vast majority of what I wanted to talk about. The hard thing with a movie that I f- want to say everybody loved is that there's not too much to really go into. There's no like me telling you that a movie's bad and you guys disagreeing with me. <laughs> I think what we've not talked about. I was really expecting to argue with you, Chris, about whether this was a romantic comedy. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> I I would still argue that it is but I think it's just a romantic comedy. It's, it's a romantic comedy. It's kind of the like antithesis of the notebook in terms of the romantic comedy where the the notebook is borderline a fantasy movie. And this is a very like, this is the gritty reboot of the notebook. (laughs) There it is. That's it. To me, I think that this is a rom-com as written by M. Night Shyamalan because it's like (laughs) at the very end, there has to be a twist. So he's like, the twist is that it wasn't a rom-com all along. I see dead genres. (laughs) Yeah, so what we've... I see adulterers. (laughs) What we've not talked about that I think is actually a good spot to move into because at least it was something that I noticed was that there was a lot of visual things that were done in this movie to play into its um its style and i i love stuff like that i love how every time it would show a new city you'd see an aerial shot of the city with the name kind of written out like you see it on a plane ticket i thought that was really yeah, cool from a vision i really like i love when shows and movies um introduce the setting with like giant title cards like that i think the uh show mindhunter on netflix had the best ones sure but i think i like it i think i like it because of how it plays into the travel theme of the movie and yeah for sure and it's as much as i wanted to joke on it there's a lot of stuff too where again to visually show without having to necessarily tell you how experienced and how set into this lifestyle and how efficient he is you see that at the beginning of the movie, him packing his suitcase and going to and from every airport has got more cuts than a basketball, backyard basketball game between Halle Berry and that other dude from Catwoman. I was about to say it's uh, edited by the Bohemian Rhapsody table scene guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just that whole part of the movie. I was like, I know that it ultimately doesn't matter, but watching that when I wasn't aware of what it was trying to set up like you know it's something that you see in retrospect i was like why are you cutting so many goddamn times yeah it's a very stylistic choice that is a little bit jarring because the rest of the movie isn't like that yes and i was worried going into i was like is the whole movie just gonna be a cut like so many cuts and it wasn't thankfully yeah no that's the thing is i think I'm not going to sit here and say there were any exceptional shots, maybe except for the scene of Anna Kendrick on the uh, escalator. Yeah, that was actually a really pretty shot. And also there yeah. was one that was kind of a silhouette of, to an extent where you see the fountain where the water's not actually coming up and they're against <clears> the <throat> glass looking out at the runway for the airport. And it's just like a silhouette of George Clooney and Anna Kendrick. I thought that was yeah. really pretty. 
and it kind of showed it was right after they had that moment where they kind of argued if I'm remembering correctly. So it's kind of meant to, again, there's a lot of visual storytelling in this where it's like, we're going to show you that there's distance between these people. And it's, it, it was cool. I really liked that aspect of it. Um, and mm-hmm. there's across the board, I think the movie has just got so much purposeful visual storytelling. And I like that kind of stuff because if you contrast each thing, there's always something else that you can see where it's like, oh, yeah, this is ex- this is meant to show the difference between these characters. Just like I said, all the cuts with George Clooney. But whenever we are first introduced to Anna Kendrick, it's one really long shot of her rolling this loud thing like Blake was talking about <laughs> with no cuts at all. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of purposeful choices in editing, and of course that means also in shooting because they know if they're going to do a lot of cuts. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, what I always would love to see in these types of movies is at what point do these ideas come in? Like the idea of every city being introduced in a way where you see an aerial shot of the city with it's kind of the big title card. Was that something that was always intended, or was that like – in retrospect, when editing the movie, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we kind of played into the theme of travel by having everything be shifted this way? It's it's just a curiosity. I would love to be behind the scenes in a movie. Yeah, definitely. That would definitely make it more interesting. Um, so I think the last thing we should go into before we fly out of here <laughs> is, um, does anyone have any negatives that they feel like they need to talk about? Hmm. You know, honestly, I don't. Okay. All I right. Uh, I didn't... Spoiler alert, I guess. I didn't give it a perfect score. And I don't know why, because I don't really have any negatives. Cool. So that means you're going to fix that when we talk about it on the show. <laughs> I've been uh, debating it innerly the whole time. Also, it's do you want the cancer? What? <laughs> do you want the cancer? Why I are like you saying that. it so fast? Yeah, I like I like that it um it lingers because I feel like in a lot of movies that would have been like very quick, but yeah. they go back and forth like five <laughs> times. Do you want the can, sir? sir. <laughs> uh, oh, and no. I love that he still <laughs> doesn't even know what's going on until like she physically shows him a can. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I don't know. I it, that part is really funny. This movie is so it's, it's funny. Quippy, too. It's quippy. It's all over the place. Funny. I can't believe, and I was waiting to see if someone else did it, but I can't believe we didn't talk about the whole flirtatious air mileage slash dick measured conversation between Alex and oh, yeah. it's like, what is it? I bet it's big. How big is it? Is it this big? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Her um. That oh. whole scene with the two of them is really good of them just comparing cards. Mm-hmm. And I like that. The, I, lo- I love the way he hits on her of just, yeah, where are you renting from? I prefer Hertz. <laughs> and then just she, you see her just getting wet at all the fucking <laughs> random trivia he knows about uh, car rentals and him just getting erect at all the like, oh, well, I really like the warm cookies. <laughs> Dude. Like, fuck. Yeah, you know your hotels. Look at his dude. Lips. I I Shit. promise you, I was like, oh, they're about to smash so hard. As soon as she had that card in her hand, oh, and she's yeah. like, what is this carbon fiber? And he's like, no, it's graphite. Graphite. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you really know how to turn a woman on with your graphite cards. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Watching that scene, I was like, why am I getting turned on about cards? 
I was like, is George Clooney seducing me with his Hertz rental card? <laughs> Perfect way to bring it up. Vera Farmerga, very hot. I don't yeah. know what this. Oh my god! I have never seen her until this movie. I have no clue who this woman is. I knew her from the Conjuring movies. I'd seen her in other stuff throughout the years, but it finally clicked like thirty minutes in. I was like, "Fucking the Conjuring!" That's she is very like traditionally pretty. She's just got like great proportions. She looks really good. Clearly, she's got a great body. Which also, dude, so does George Clooney. How does this man? I was literally, I I was eating a bowl of cereal, and I was like, "Well, I mean, clear clearly, I know why I'm fucking fat." I will say, and only because the reason is funny, the naked scene was a body double. Uh, very Dude, that was probably, I was and, like, is this, is that what this woman looks like naked? Because when she's on the bed, uh, clearly it's not a, I, it doesn't, I doubt it's a body double and she still looks good when she's laying uh, on the bed. It's actually deep fake. <laughs> yeah, that deep 2009 fake. deep well, fake technology was way ahead of the curve. The only well, reason the, the CIA took all the deep fake technology away and had to redo it and it's just not back up to gotcha. that's what happened that's how, um, yeah but the reason I bring it up is because she said in an interview that she had no problem being naked for the movie but she had just given birth and breast milk coming out of her tits might not have been the best look <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious um, yeah I don't know unless anyone I, has any yeah. uh, go ahead Blake The I want to talk a little bit about the I guess it's the rehearsal dinner for the wedding um, as soon as the map came up with like all the awkward pictures of like not them, but like cardboard cuts out of them. Yeah. Um, popped up. Haley was like, Oh my God, he's going to give them all of their mile, all of his miles. Yeah. So they can actually travel. And I was like, fuck, he's totally is. It was not he, a very like hidden. Well, he didn't like right away. Like he didn't mention it until he got that card and called oh. the numbers. And that was like 30 or 40 minutes later. Uh, probably. Dude, what? So for a while, I was like, I guess he's not going to do that. Why the fuck wouldn't he do that? Yeah. Like, it was perfect. That would have been perfect. And then he finally, like, at least mentioned it. He never fully did it because he hung up. But yeah. I assume he went back and So two things there, Blake. <laughs> did you just completely check out when we had that conversation about 10 minutes ago? <laughs> it might have been when I was scrubbing through the movie. It I probably was. What, what, but about the giving them yeah. the miles but but also okay. it, you lead to a conversation <laughs> that i didn't mention of i saw that coming too to me it was clear um but yeah. one yeah. thing that did not hit me the same way and i'm normally great at guessing movies and hannah she doesn't not mind watching movies like she doesn't have a huge problem with it but i'm so good at guessing stuff she's like it's kind of mildly annoying to watch movies with you because you're so often right she called it like a fucking uh, she called it perfectly in regards to Ryan going up to Alex's door, like as soon as he saw her pulling up to the house, he was like, Oh, Alex is going to have a husband and kids. Yeah. I said and I was thing. like, what? I looked at him. I was like, she is, she's going to be a fucking family. And, dude. Uh, <laughs> like the whole family. And be as there. soon as the kids are running up the stairs, she's like, I fucking called it. I was like, man, women just really got it down right here. I guess. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I thought that was telegraphed too. I, I'm not going to say yeah. that it wasn't, but for some reason, and again, I don't know if it was being thrown off by the fact that this movie completely didn't hit the expectations of what I was thinking to begin with. Like, Chris, you were yeah. saying that you think we all pretty much like the movie, and that's great, but I will tell you, going into this movie, I was kind of like, man, I don't even know if I want to fucking watch this. <laughs> yeah, fucker. <laughs> Got him. Got him. <laughs> and um, I am so glad that I did. So. Yeah, I'm glad you guys really liked it. There is one thing that I guess 
we talked about, but we'll go back to it quick is um, I think everything with Alex was honest because the more I think about it, the more, if you look at the conversations she had with Anna Kendrick or I'm sorry with Natalie, it's basically her saying I settled for my husband and my dream guy would have been Ryan. Mm. Right? Oh, like, I'm glad you said that because yeah, I was know. so mad that we didn't get to see her husband because I wanted, I was like, is he the guy that she described? Or, or is he yeah. great looking or is he like a sack of shit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, if you're banging George Clooney on the side, your husband does not stand. I up. mean, but you could also be banging George Clooney on the side because you're attracted to him and you're always on the road. Just to be. No. Plot synopsis man over here. <laughs> it's all right. right. I stopped taking anything that Brett says about movies seriously since the Halloween episode. So, <laughs> where's the Michael Myers lore book? <laughs> well, you, oh, you probably should be glad that we didn't do the Friday the 13th episode because <laughs> I was about to shit all over that piece of shit. Oh, what the? Wow. Fuck? All right, give me your rating for Halloween or Friday. The oh, 13th. I didn't even finish it. Okay, Partially so because it, I, I mean, I was going to finish it to finish with doing the thing. And then yeah. Blake was like, we can't. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm not going to finish watching this. I didn't realize. I don't think I've ever seen the original one. It's terrible. I did not like any bit of it. It was. Oh, I like I, the first one is the only one I like. If you don't like oh, that one, don't I've worry seen about some of the other ones. I've I've never been particularly fond of the movies. I always thought that they were kind of dumb. I think Halloween is by and yeah. far much much better. Oh, for sure. No. Friday Thirteenth are fun movies, but they're not great movies. Friday the first the one is major because of the twist. Is the best one. Jason X is also good, but it's only good if you want to watch something really dumb. That's really fun. I anyway, do feel the need to end up finished watching Friday the 13th. I will just because I'm, I, I only have only, like 30 minutes left in it. It's worth it for the twist. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think I know the twist. It, it's, it's supposed to be the, isn't it? That, Spoiler alert. I mean, we're going to edit this out. I assume. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. Some of it, for sure. Well, uh, okay, <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong, because clearly I, I've had this in my head forever. Isn't it that he's he was a kid who was drowned because his mom was banging some dude or whatever? No, okay. not at all. You're yeah, totally then wrong. I don't know where the hell yeah, that came no. into my head, that he, he was a kid that drowned, <laughs> and that's why his body's at, at the it's, bottom of... You're, you're Okay, you're half off. Oh, great. I'm like, little, Bill, I'm like little boy's pants at Walmart. Okay. What? <laughs> Little boy's pants at Walmart. Half off. You never heard that Michael Jackson joke? I have heard that Michael Jackson <laughs> joke. It was just really weird context. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like kids' pants at Walmart. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, excuse me, Jared. So yeah, up in the air. Great movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, does anyone else have anything to say? More to say I don't about? I think so. One of my favorite movies. Uh, I have to say that oh. I think I stopped trusting Blake's opinion on the movies from as soon as we did the the Halloween episode. <laughs> yeah, how dare me love a classic movie? Well, at least my opinion is rock solid, as everyone in the midweek matinee family knows. <laughs> Chris at Figs Twenty One K on Twitter has the best takes. Of the podcast group. I don't know. Natalie's, when she found that grappling hook, it just threw me off of the movie. Uh, yeah, I tell you. If she found a grappling hook, <laughs> I might have had the same problem. Except <laughs> Natalie's a grown ass adult, not a child at midnight. <laughs> a child at like 3 a.m. <laughs> yes. 
It's All right. far too late in the night. I should have mentioned it. It was a quick Stop joke. We don't have to go on and on and on and on. I love that we all oh, have no. the one take that we just lean on each other for. It's like well, that was that was a bad one, guys. Wait, what's my bad take? Because I makes sense though. Yours doesn't. Oh, yeah. I don't agree with Chris, but it makes sense. <laughs> so uh, I think at this point we've passed the security checkpoint and we can start boarding onto the end of this movie. Uh, in this podcast, boo, <laughs> boo! Nah, I fucked up. I <laughs> fucked up, guys. In TSA, I got behind the family. I've never seen a stroller oh, collapse oh. in more than twenty minutes. Well, while you're waiting for the stroller collapse, I'm going to go to Blake and get his rating for Up in the Air. God damn it, Blake! I give it four and a half up. stars. No, give it a five, Blake. You fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I think four and a half is solid. I, just I think to- it was. I think it's fantastic. Wait. Like, there's nothing that I could necessarily say is wrong. Is what is he yelling about? Hit the button. Fold the goddamn. Yeah, get it in there. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, he's doing the oh, stroller okay, thing. He's okay. Doing a bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's a bit. Ignore him. <laughs> Dude, who are you yelling at at midnight, bro? <laughs> I was like, Did you, are you you being very aggressive with your child? Like, what's <laughs> fine so blake gives it a four and a half like an yeah. idiot brett, no i think let me finish hold on we got confused or sidetracked with brett doing yes. his bit um <laughs> the only thing i could say is that it's a tad long for the kind of movie it is does that make Bad sense take. like i don't think it's necessarily detrimental to it like I it doesn't ruin anything it's a fantastic movie but i think a 95 brett what's your what's your rating <laughs> I uh, it's it's a five out of five. I don't know if it's because it surprised me so much, or if, I mean, it's still genuinely a great movie. I think it ends up mm. looming a little bigger in my mind because I didn't expect it to go the way that it did. And I'm a big sucker for movies that choose to end on really vague endings that can be considered hopeless, but also can, it, depending yeah. on who the viewer is, instills your you can instill your own sense of hope and not necessarily be wrong. So mm-hmm. yeah. I really love the movie. Uh, Chris, I got to tell you, man, you, you really, you knocked it out of the park, buddy. That ball's up in the air. <laughs> See, God. now I'm more mad that Blake Damn fucking rated it a four and a half because that would have been two weeks in a row that I had a clean sweep of fives. And here's fucking party pooper over here. Oh, shit. It's it's my turn to pick a movie this week, isn't it? It is your turn to pick God a damn, movie, I haven't Brett. done that. I'm sorry, guys. Where, uh, what flight are we taking next yeah, week? Um, I think... It's delayed for inclement weather while Brett fly and finds what movie he wants to watch. All right, guys. So yeah. my movie for next week is the Adam Sandler classic Little Nicky, which works out because I happen to see it on Chris's list of owned movies. And I have been I quoting that movie Sweet. way too often lately. And every time I quote it, I go, damn, I haven't watched that movie in like eight years, if not longer. Yeah, I haven't seen this as a kid, probably. I look forward to seeing Hitler get a pineapple shoved up. I tell you, man, there's something about that movie. The two things that constantly come to my mind are the thing where he gets the butterflies in his stomach and floats, and he stops by the house where the guy's rubbing his nipples, and he's like, (laughs) well, good luck with that. I don't need luck. I'm good. I I quote that all the time, but then I also always quote the really ridiculously stupid Deep South joke. I guess it's because I live in the South, but when someone's like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from the South, the deep South. <laughs> it's so <laughs> stupid. But 
I'm excited to watch that again and because there th- that's from the era of for at least I think our generation where I don't think there were really any bad Adam Sandler movies. It was just constant swinging and no, doing great hit yeah. after hit. And it's sadly not streaming anywhere, but it is available to purchase or rent pretty much everywhere. You know, it's weird. I almost would have imagined that it would be on Netflix considering Netflix. the relationship he's had with them. But I, I don't know who produced it. It might be a Weinstein Could be. thing. And that's Could be. been just fucking trash for so many For everything, essentially. Years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for us on this uh, mile high episode of uh, Midweek Matinee. So, Brett, I guess you can go through your usual rigmarole and end the show. You're yeah. telling me that I can go on a spiel? Let's do yeah. that damn thing. You shovel some spiel in my Glockenstein. Okay, don't can say you ex- that. Those are just words that, I said. Can I you explain know. a Glockenstein just, to me? I think it's a musical instrument. Cool. No, it's a that, racial slur in German. That sounds <laughs> like a German way to say gun. <laughs> <laughs> like go pull out my Glockenstein. <laughs> uh, oh no, Glockenstein's a word. Doesn't it sound like a gun made up of parts of other guns? It's a uh, German surname uh, derived from middle the Middle High German word Glock or Glogge, meaning bell. It's an uh, this the name may have been an occupational name for someone who rang bells. Or may have come from anywhere. It, that doesn't. This doesn't help me at all. <laughs> That's so wild. It might have come from someone who rang bells, or just somewhere in the world. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, Brett, please take us oh, out. That's fine. If you want to hear more hot takes from any of us, you can head over to Twitter and find Figs at Figs F I G Z two one K on Twitter. You can find Blake at popes underscore blake underscore nine two you can find me over on the at triangle sqrd twitter because i don't ever use my personal twitter i don't even really know why it exists but with that being said if you want to hear me talk about games and news related to games or hear me and chris talk about a single game in our spoiler chats then go check out triangle squared a playstation podcast and feel free to join that community and talk it up. One of the things we've also done now is that if you want to hop into the Discord and talk about movies with us in relation to this, you can do so by heading over to the Discord. That's going to be linked in the description below. And lastly, we operate off of the generosity of our patrons who give us money because they like our content and there's nothing greater than that. So we're thankful for them as well as all of you who give us your time every week. But if you do want to give us more than that, head over to patreon.com slash Nartech where you can get this episode early five days in advance of everyone else, as well as getting your name called off at the end of episodes, as we are going to do with our good friends, rich, who is our newest patron just joined the other day. Thank you, rich. We also have Kyle Grimm. Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Lago, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Tabib, Jason Clendenning, Tyler B, and lastly, Richard Schaefer. Again, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Nartech. Thank you. All right, you beautiful bastards.
God damn it, I'm so happy you guys liked the movie. I was no, I did not want to cover this movie because I thought like you guys were gonna hate it. I was specifically Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.